0: Let's pray and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that in Jesus Christ, we do have streams of living water to satisfy every heart thirst that we have. We praise you for that. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us now through your word. Thank you for the word of God. 100% true truth that we can bank on. Truth that will always be true. It's always been true. Always will be true. And we can bank our hope on the truth of your word. So thank you for this gift. Help us to understand it. Give us a fresh outpouring of your spirit to understand your word and to respond to your word. And I need your help, Lord, to preach this morning. So please come and help me. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking about this morning's uh, passage in the topic, it just struck me that, that you start reading the Bible, and it does not take long before you discover that God tells us that those who follow Jesus Christ will face trials. Okay, I think it's just tons of scriptures in James, 1 Peter, Acts. Those who follow Jesus Christ will face trials. Following Jesus Christ doesn't mean that the trials stop, it means that you have a resource of comfort and power in the midst of trials. And that's the good news is, yes, we go through trials, but God promises, he promises us that he will comfort us in our trials. Every trial we face, it's an invitation, just like we saw, we were praying this morning. It's an invitation to receive comfort from him. But but the problem I have found in my own life and as I talk with, with us is that when we're going through trials, very often we can forget about or ignore God's invitation to receive comfort from him, and it's very easy for us to pursue comfort the way that everybody else in the world pursues comfort, uh, ways that, that, that maybe have nothing to do with God. Like, for example, we can think, okay, to get comfort, we should look on the bright side. Well, that could bring you a little bit of comfort, Right. Or take your mind off your problems by like, going to the movies or watching TV or losing yourself in a novel. That can bring yourself a little bit of comfort. Or think of how your trial could be worse or how others have bigger problems. But you can pursue all of those without having God be involved in it at all. And if so, then we're missing the comfort that God is, is offering to us. And so it's tragic if we do that because God in his word calls us to seek our comfort in him he has comfort for us healing comfort filling comfort strengthening comfort encouraging comfort the god of the universe who's revealed himself to us in jesus christ has comfort for us in every trial we will ever face and he calls us to pursue it in him. And, and that's a loving call because the comfort that he has, that he offers, is far surpassing any other comfort that we could find anywhere else. So this morning, I want us to talk about how do we seek comfort from God. Okay, Some of you are going through in the thick of a trial right now. Okay, You're feeling low, hopeless maybe, discouraged. Things are looking very difficult. Others of you... Maybe you're anticipating trials, okay? We're all, like to say, we're either in a trial or we're going to be coming up to a trial because trials are part of the Christian life between now and heaven. Trials end with heaven, right? Trials are here now. So some of you are right in the thick of trials right now. So we want to take a look at how to seek comfort in God when we're facing trials. It's not just a cliche, not just words we use, but it's real, God's comforting us. He's here. He's filling me. That's what I want more of. I think that's what you want more of. Let's open up to Psalm 119 and see how to get more of God's comfort. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to bring one to you so that you can turn to this passage and study this with us. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. That's page 513 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. We're about a third of our way through the series on Psalm 119, I figured out, driving home from the wedding last night, which, by the way, was a great time. Oh, Christ was glorified. Jason and Aaron did a great job planning their wedding, and um, it's beautiful. Many of you were there. It's good to see you there. Let's dig in. Psalm 119, 49 through 56. Start with verse 49. The author says, Remember your word to your servant, in which you've made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, make fun of me, mock me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comforts, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Okay, first question I want to start off with is what situation was the author of this psalm facing? And I saw the answer to that in verses 50 and 51. Let's read those. Verse 50 again. This is my comfort in my affliction. Underline that word, affliction. He's he's in an affliction, which is another word for trial, difficulty, hardship, painful episode. He was in some affliction. And we see in verse 51 what that was. He says, the insolent utterly deride me, which is a word for like, they mock me. They defame me, they scoff at me, they make fun of me, and they do this, they utterly do this. So it's blatant, it's public, it's in his face, and it seems probably that what they're mocking about him is because he says, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. That makes me think that what they're mocking him about is his devotion to God's word, devotion to, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because their mockery could have made him turn away from God's law, but he says, no, I'm not turning away from your law. So here's the situation he's facing. It's an affliction. It's a trial. It's a difficulty. People are mocking him for his devotion to the Lord. And so that's the situation that he's writing about here. He's facing a painful trial, painful affliction. And when our hearts feel the pain of trials, the fear of trials, the worry of trials, our hearts long for comfort, right? We want peace. We want strength. We want assurance, We want to know everything's going to be okay. That's all what's involved in comfort. And so he was in an affliction, a trial of difficulty, and he's looking for comfort. And if you're in a trial of affliction, you're looking for comfort. And whenever we face trials and afflictions, what we're longing for is comfort. And so the question is, how does he seek comfort in God? He knows that's the only place where full and lasting comfort is going to be found. It's in God. So How does he seek comfort in God? And so I was just reading over these eight verses and it struck me that each of these verses has, maybe call it a step or a part of how to seek comfort in God. Eight crucial comfort giving steps to take in these eight verses. Psalm 119 starting in verse 49. So let's just go through these one by one. The first one is, he asks God to remember his word. Verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you've made me hope. Now just notice one observation here and that is he starts by turning his heart to God and talking to God. That's the starting place for seeking comfort. He's not just thinking about God, thinking about what God says. That can be helpful. But he's talking to God. Okay? So I want to encourage you, whenever you face a trial, your first response should be, Father, God. You're talking to him. Now, why can't he turn to God? I want to go back over this just one more time because this is the foundation of the whole Christian life. It's not because he's good enough. It's not because he hasn't sinned for the last 10 minutes or 5 minutes. Okay, None of those are the reasons why we can turn to God immediately. He knew that there were animal sacrifices offered regularly for forgiveness of sins. So he knew that God was a God who loves to forgive sins, and that he the author wouldn't have understood exactly how God was going to forgive sins, but he knew that God was going to forgive sins, did forgive sins, would forgive sins, has forgiven sins because of an animal sacrifice somehow. Now we know that those animal sacrifices pointed to whom? Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's the only reason the author knew he could come to God, not because he'd been good enough, not because he was righteous enough, but because God forgives sins, and now we see how God can forgive sins. He's punished sins in the person of Jesus Christ. So whenever you're in the thick of a trial, the midst of a trial, which so often reminds us of, oh, we've done this wrong, or we've we can immediately turn to God Father through Jesus Christ and he is running towards us ready to help okay and notice what he asks God to do remember your word to your servant in which you've made me hope now what is what is this word he's asking God to remember well it's the word in which he has hoped and the part of the word that we put our hope in is promises which he also mentions in the next verse Right? So maybe he had in mind like Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Here's a promise in God's word where, where Joseph says, what people mean for evil, God means for good. That is, God promises. Whenever anybody hurts you, God has purposefully allowed that in order to bring you great goods. Maybe he's remembering, remembering that promise. Or maybe the promise of Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. So he's remembering promises. He's been hoping in God's promises, but he asks God, remember your promises. Why would you ask God to remember his promises? It's not that God forgets his promises, okay? But the reason he asks God to remember his promises is because God hasn't fulfilled those promises to him yet. So the picture I get is he's got Genesis 50, maybe the scroll open in front of him, and he's saying, Father, through Joseph, by the Holy Spirit here, you say that you always will bring great good when anyone hurts me. I'm not seeing the great good coming out of this yet, Father. He's got the scroll open in front of him, Genesis 50, 20. Father, remember your promise. Bring good out of this. Remember your word. Or he's got the, the book of Psalms opened up, Psalm 28, 7. Father, you said, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Lord, I'm, I'm not feeling any strength yet. My heart is weak. I'm worried. I'm fearful. I'm, af- I'm afraid I'm going to fall away from you because of the, the mockery of these people. Strengthen me. And so the first step in this passage is he asks God, remember your word. Remember word. Your promise. Fulfill your promise. Second step. He seeks comfort in trusting God's promises. Verse 50. This, 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 by the way, is probably the key verse in the whole, in the eight verses here. This is my comfort in my affliction. Okay, you can tell this is important. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Hey, where does he turn for comfort? He turns to the life that will come to him through the promise. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promises give me life. So he doesn't seek his comfort in raiding the refrigerator. Okay. Or losing himself in a, a novel or even in looking on the bright side, he's going to the promise. There's life in God's promises and when you seek God and pray over his promises and open up the scriptures and say, Lord, help me to believe these promises and fulfill these promises, the Holy Spirit will come to you and give you life. Okay, Thursday, I was feeling totally overwhelmed. There's a lot of a lot of things going on, a lot of details, things I, I have no control over. All these things need to come together and... And I was just feeling overwhelmed as I was praying. And God, just like what Lyndon shared, God brought into my mind Isaiah 64, 4, that God works on behalf of those who wait on him. And it just made me think, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just waiting on you. I'm looking to help me take care of these things. I cannot take care of them. Way out of my control. Take care of these things. And I tell you, uh, God came. Poured out his Holy Spirit upon me through Isaiah 64.4. Gave me life in that promise. Life came. Peace came. Joy came. The, The worry and the fear and the sense of overwhelmness lifted off. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. So open up the word of God. Find promises relevant to your affliction, relevant to your trial, Pray over them, trust them, God will give you life. Third, he does not let the trial cause him to turn from God's law. Verse 51, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Now, I mentioned earlier that might be because they're mocking his devotion to God's word, mocking his devotion to to following God, and so he just, oh, I'm just going to turn away because they're mocking me so much. That might have been what he was facing. But there's another sense in which every trial can make us turn away from from God. You've experienced this, I've experienced this. It's because when trials come our way, we can get angry at God about these trials. Why are you bringing this trial to me? You're going to bring a trial to me? I'm not going to read your word. I'm not going to seek you. This trial, why do you bring trials to me? And trials can make us angry, and that can make us turn away from, from the Lord. Trials should not make us angry at God. Uh, trials will bring us sorrow, and that's and, and He sorrows with us in those trials. Okay? Nothing wrong with sorrow. But we shouldn't be angry at God, because God has told us, I'm going to allow trials to come into your life. He's told us that. And He's told us, Whenever I allow a trial to come into your life, it's purposefully planned by me to bring you even more joy in me. Trust me. Trust me. And I will help you. I will meet every need that you have in the midst of that trial. I will help you. I will meet you. So there's no reason to be angry at God in, in trials. So don't let trials turn your heart away from the Lord. I have found in my own life, trials either move me away from God or they move me to God, but they rarely leave me where I was. Let trials move you towards the Lord. Don't be angry at the Lord. Fourth, he reflects on how God has been faithful to his rules from ancient times. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I take Comfort, O oh Lord. Again, another reference to the idea of he's seeking comfort in God. So He he's thought of how for thousands of years, God has given rules and commands to his people. And when God's people have obeyed those rules and those commands, even when hardships and trials came, God was faithful to them. Every single time. God was faithful, so maybe He thought about Noah, for example. God commanded Noah build an ark. You've all heard the story, and what's an ark? Out in the middle of the nowhere, you know, and that would have brought trials to him. But Noah was faithful. Noah obeyed God, built the ark, and God was faithful to Noah. Right? He might have thought about. Abraham where God called him to leave and go to a land that you do not know about that would have caused Abraham some trials But but here's this command from God go leave. I will lead you to this land Abraham did that endured the trials of going to a place. He didn't know God was faithful to him And so when the author reflects on how God whenever he's commanded people He's always been faithful to them that would have brought him great comfort because that means God's going to be faithful to him as well And so here's my encouragement to you God has never been unfaithful to his people. God has never broken a promise. Every promise in His Word, He has kept. So when you're in the in the dark place where it looks like God's doing nothing, nothing's going to happen. God is doing things. All kinds of things God's doing that you can't see. The timing is His. The outcome is His. He will be faithful to His promise. So reflect on how for for hundreds, thousands of years, God's been faithful to when he makes commands, being faithful to his promises and those commands. Reflect on that. That'll bring you comfort. Fifth, he feels anger at the way God is dishonored. Verse 53. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Hmm, it's interesting. Now, don't misunderstand this. This doesn't give us License to be ticked off at everybody who hurts us, okay? That's not what's going on here in this passage. I'm pretty sure the wicked people he's talking about in this verse are the ones he mentions in verse 51 who are making fun of him, mocking him, okay? So there's people, ungodly people, who are mocking him. But the reality is that God, in his his word, in his law, has commanded us, don't make fun of people. Love your neighbors yourself, Leviticus 19, 18, which, and part of that means don't make fun of other people. So here's God's holy, good, righteous, perfect, beautiful law. And these wicked people over here are mocking God's word. This is God's word. This is beautiful. Look at who God is. Look at what his word says. They're mocking him. And so he's angry. Not at how these guys are dishonoring him but at how those guys are dishonoring God. Okay, and This is really important to understand. Sometimes, okay, not always, but sometimes we will be in a trial where there's a place where, where, where God's being dishonored in that trial and there's a place for us to have hot indignation seize us because God is being dishonored. Not because of what's happening, of, of us being dishonored, but because God's being dishonored. And when, if that's the case in your trial, and you express that to God, okay, notice he's he's not just ticked, he's talking to God here, Father, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. When you fellowship with God in your anger at how he's being dishonored, in a strange way, that will also bring you comfort when you're going through trials, if that's what's going on in your trial. Does that mean, if, how many of you experience that? Okay, let's start start experiencing this, okay? Because God will work. So again, it's not because we're being dishonored. It's because God's being dishonored. Sixth, he worships while remembering that his life here is temporary. Verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. So God's statutes have been his songs. So as he goes through this trial, he stops and he sings worship songs that are full of biblical truth about who God is. Okay, now this is not to make him forget his problems. This is to help him trust God with his problems. He's not just trying to forget them, but he's singing worship songs to bring his problems to to the Lord. And and notice that as he sings, he remembers that his life is a life of sojourning. He's singing in the house of his sojourning, which is a way of saying, I recognize that my life here is a life of sojourning. Now, that Hebrew word sojourning, it's a word for a temporary resident as opposed to a permanent citizen in a place. So he's a temporary resident here on earth. He knows that, as the old song goes, this world is just my home. No, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's how it goes. And so he knows that he's passing through the world here, and he knows that eternity awaits, that joy in the presence of God forever with all the saints, that's where things are going, that will be eternal, that's unchanging, that's permanent, nothing will make that change, and there's no trial here on earth that can touch that. Great comfort will come. You're singing worship songs to God, and you're remembering that between now and and heaven, yes, there's trials, but none of those trials can touch my eternity, which is secured by Christ and which will be forever. And great comfort will come to you as you stop and think, this is my time of sojourning. I'm a temporary resident here. This earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. Heaven's coming and comfort will come. Seventh, he sets his heart on God's name. That's in verse 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. I have found that trials are much worse at night. Anybody else found that? Especially like four in the morning is a particularly bad time for me, okay? Uh, you know, it's cause I'm probably because I'm tired. Just everything looks terrible, you know, at, especially at four in the morning if you're awake. Maybe that's why, but there's some reason why he remembers God's name at night, and I think that what that does, means he does is uh, maybe before he goes to bed, or maybe if he wakes up at four in the morning or whatever time, full of anxiety, full of pain, full of fear, he will stop and remember God's name. Now, in the Hebrew language, the word name is a description of your, it's a picture of your character, it's who you are. That's not so much true in our culture here. The name Steve doesn't really mean anything, but, but in the Hebrew culture and language, your name is who you are. It's your character. And so what he means by remembering God's name is he remembers who God is. He remembers God's character. And so, as I have thought about this, maybe, he, maybe at like four in the morning, he's, he's lying there in bed and he's, he's thinking, okay, God, you are sovereign over everything. This problem is not a surprise to you. And you are in control of every detail here. Father, you have forgiven me. And we can say now with more clarity, in Jesus Christ, all my stains are washed away. They are washed away. Because I could hit you. guilt over sin can hit you at four in the morning. Right? Father, you're rejoicing over me to do me good with all your heart. This trial... It's no surprise to you. It's a gift from you. It's an invitation from you, for more of you. So you reflect on God's name. You are flawlessly wise, perfectly good, and you'll give me everything I need in the midst of this trial. So, and if you've memorized some scriptures, ask Lyndon about this, okay? Those can be helpful to bring into your mind at four in the morning also because it's dark and, and your wife doesn't want you turning on the light and reading your Bible right then. Okay, so think of how comforting that would be. And then eighth. This is interesting. Part of his seeking comfort, he recognizes how God is helping him to be faithful. That's verse 56. This blessing has fallen to me. What blessing? The blessing that I have kept your precepts. So he sees that through this trial, God has enabled him to keep God's precepts. He's seen that through the trial, he hasn't been perfect, hasn't been sinless, but he's been faithful. He's been seeking the Lord. He's been opening up the scriptures. He's been praying. He maybe he's asked others to pray for him. So he's he's kept God's precepts. He hasn't become bitter at God, hasn't turned his back on God, hasn't turned away from the word of God. He has sought the Lord. He's humbled himself before the Lord. He's prayed. He has kept God's precepts. And he, he sees that as a blessing, which he says has fallen to me. I think that means that's come to me from you, God. You Your grace has been working in this in my life. It's your grace that's strengthened my faith. It's your grace that's kept me faithful. It's your grace that's kept me from stumbling or falling away. You've kept me. You've held me. You've loved me. You've watched over me. And when you can look, when you're in a trial, you can say, God's grace is helping me to trust. God's grace is helping me to fight the fight. God's grace is helping me to turn to the word. That'll bring you great comfort. God's grace is working. So comfort will come through that as well. Can let's take some questions. So, eight steps. I'm not sure the order is, is the important thing here. This is poetry. So these can all be helpful. You may know which ones are most important at what particular time. That's good. Well, let's see. I mean, in the passage, we've got the word life, right? Um, hang on. Where are we? <laughs> My passage is here. Hang on. So we've got the word life right there in verse 50. Right. What, what are other other places in these eight verses where we see what that comfort looks like? And then we can unpack it more. So life is one way he describes it. He uses the word comfort in verse 50 and verse 52. Hope, Hope end of verse 49. Okay. So um, let me take a stab at it. You may have some more thoughts. Or some, so the question is, what does this comfort look like? And it doesn't necessarily mean a change of the circumstances. It's probably helpful to say. Right God can do that. Many of us have seen God change our circumstances when we're in afflictions. There's times where God chooses not to do that. okay? So it doesn't necessarily mean a change of circumstances. What I'll just throw out some thoughts. What happened to me Thursday was uh, peace came. I saw God more clearly. I saw that He was working in all these situations and that He is in control of all of them, even though I feel totally like everything's out of control. okay, He's in total control. And that brought comfort, brought strength to me, brought hope to me in the Lord, okay? God is our portion. Trials can never touch that. He is our prize. His presence is our prize. Not what he gives, who he is, knowing him experiencing Him, fellowshipping with Him, worshiping Him. It's God Himself as revealed in Christ. He's our portion. And so comfort, when there's an outpouring of God's presence, comfort's there, right? Now he may take away the trial, nothing wrong with asking for that, but there's massive comfort if he doesn't, right? And that's really the focus of this passage. And that's comforting, isn't it? Yes, beautiful. Faithfulness to the Lord, honoring the Lord even in the midst of a difficult time. <laughs> the, um, that would simply I mean the Hebrew is in the night. So just it's, it's just the same as English. So it's it's ambiguous on that question. The reason I took it as literal night was because other, other times where he says like... like three times a day I praise you, and there's other language like that where it sounds like he's actually talking about three times a day he will do different things, and so day and night, so that's why I took it that way. But what you're saying is true. When things are looking the darkest, right? When things are looking at the lowest, I mean, he meets us there too. So what you're saying is absolutely right. Endures for the night, but a shot of joy comes in the morning. So I remember your name in the night. So remembering God, putting God at the center, focusing on him. Powerful. Okay. What does this mean for us? Let me just give you a challenge, then I'm going to give you an illustration of somebody who experienced this. Here's the challenge. To me, to us, every time you face a trial, pull out these eight verses. Pray through them. And uh, seek your comfort in the Lord. In the Lord. See who he is. See his promises. See his faithfulness. Pour out your soul before him. Don't forget your promise. Remember your promise, Lord. Meet him. Because you will find life in his promises. He promises to do that. Now let me give you an illustration of somebody. I've used this before many times, but it's so powerful. I wanted to remind you of it. This is a story from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was uh, a missionary to inland China 1800s. His wife of 12 years uh passed away. Got sick and, and died. And this story is remarkable for a description of how God comforted him. I mean, think of the heartbreak of that. Or, you know, if if Whatever heartbreak you can imagine, think about what he would have experienced and listen to what he writes. This is a letter to to a friend. Up here, thank you. God only knows what my wife's passing means to me. Twelve years of such unbroken spiritual fellowship, united labor, mutual satisfaction and love. So his wife's passing was devastating to him. God only knows how how deeply this is impacting me, he says. But no language can express what he has been and is to me during this hard time. Never does he leave me. Constantly does he cheer me with his love. His own rest, his own peace, his own comfort he gives me. Often I find myself wondering whether it is possible for her who is taken to have more joy in his presence than he has given me. Now, if I would have had time, there's more that he says here. He talks about God weeping with him, in God weeping in him and with him. So this is a mingling of sorrow and comfort, heartbreak and joy. And God powerfully meets him. That's the kind of comfort that God can give. That's the kind of comfort you need. That's the kind of comfort He will pour out upon you as you seek your comfort in Him through Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Let's have uh, Jason and Patty's home group. You guys are praying for people today, so people from the Madden's home group, why don't you guys come on up and you can be here to pray for people. I want to pray this over us first and then invite you to come forward for prayer. So, Lord, I ask for me and I ask for each of us that when trials come, we would be responding the way that the psalmist responds and that we would seek our comfort in you. Lord, forgive us for the times we have not sought our comfort in you and we've moved away from you or been bitter towards you. We praise you that you you forgive us through Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would be quicker to seek our comfort in you. Thank you that you will be faithful to pour out your comfort upon us in powerful, healing, encouraging, strengthening, hope-giving ways. I pray for those right now who are in the midst of dark times deep waters, painful difficulties. Lord, I pray that now you would stir their hearts, you'd quicken their hearts with the fact that you will meet them. You have comfort for them. Do strengthen them, Lord. Help us as a body gather around them and strengthen them as well. But we pray that you would meet them as they turned their hearts towards you. So come and do a powerful work, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.